Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Sterlings. How you going, guys? Uh, so this week on the Retrospectors podcast, we are doing a retro review of Diablo, the original one, released by Blizzard in 1996. So here on the Retrospectors podcast, we aim to review games not as they were released in their times as a product of their times but instead from today's lens we're not interested in the product's legacy we're not interested in how well it was compared to its peers all we want to know is was this a fun experience for us to play today so as i said we did diablo this week and we're also playing with the hellfire expansion which came out in 1997 the next year because uh, on gog they sell it as a package so the first thing I will ask you, James, is do you, did you have any experience with the original Diablo or other action RPGs to kind of frame your understanding of this game? Yeah, so um, ARPGs were a genre that I wanted to like for a very long time, um, and I never really was able to enjoy them for quite a while. Diablo 2 was the first one that I played, and I played it with friends for, you know, a substantial amount of time, but it just never really clicked for me. Um, and then many years later, I found and enjoyed Torchlight 2, very much so. I played that game for weeks with a few friends and eventually found Path to Exile, which is my, you know, current ARPG obsession, but I had never played the original before now. Yourself? So, um... I've played quite a few ARPGs over time, uh, but always pretty casually. So I actually did play this, the original Diablo one when I was a kid. When I was quite a young kid, I would have been 10 or 11 years old. And I definitely finished the game. Um, after that, I've played Diablo 2 and 3. Um, I've played Torchlight 1 and 2. I've played a bit of Grim Dawn. I haven't really played Path to Exile, but I've also played a, sh a few more niche ones uh, like Titan Quest. And there was also another one, I think it's called Fate. And that mm. was kind of like a more childy, like more, more torchlight-y aesthetic version of uh, Diablo. But so I, really, I've played a lot of ARPGs, but I only ever really played them through once each with the exception of Diablo 2, which, which I actually played a fair bit. Yeah, so actually I did play Diablo 3 to completion on release, um, and I would say that I'm a pretty pretty avid Path of Exile player these days. I play every league for at least 60 plus hours whenever it comes out, but that's quite a different game uh, than Diablo 1 is, as we will find out. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a recurring theme, because Diablo 1 is an ARPG, but I'm not sure how much it really has in common with our modern understanding of what an ARPG is. But yeah, like you said, we'll, we'll get into the gameplay details later. One of the things that we usually go over at the start of the show is um, getting the game to run. And I know in the past with these super old games, we've had a lot of difficulty. But this version of the game we played off of the GOG store... Uh, actually was just, you know, you download it and run. So for this episode, there really isn't a lot of stuff you have to do to get it running, which is nice. Yep, just buy it on GOG and you're good to go. I didn't encounter any major bugs or glitches. I think the game crashed out once, but that was it in the entire playtime. I never had that at all. Yeah, it ran perfectly for me and it's got, you know, 
uh, higher resolution support built in and they've kind of made it run perfectly on Windows 10, which for me is a, a massive upside when going back to play one of these games. I, um, I will mention that if you are going to buy this game, be aware of how the save system works because I didn't realize this at first. Because with all modern ARPGs, if you die, unless it's hardcore mode, but most of the time if you're just playing the game normally, if you die, you know, you'll lose some gold or experience, then you go back to your body and you're good to go. So in Diablo 1, if you die, you die and the game's over. Yeah. <laughs> There's a quick saving system, so you can save literally anytime you want. But um, I lost the first hour and a half or so of my progress because uh, <laughs> I took on a risky boss fight uh, with the expectation it might not work out. And I thought, it'll be fine. I'll just run back to my body and try again. No. You, you yeah, can't. I'm uh, pretty glad you warned me about that one because I would have not thought about that at all. Um, definitely would have died maybe two hours and then lost everything. Um, speaking of hardcore, were you much of a hardcore player in those other games? No, I, I never played hardcore. I was never up to the risk. This is what I mean by like I'm a casual ARPG fan. Like I've played a lot of them over time, but... I haven't really got stuck in and engaged with its systems or, you know, lived up the risk of uh, having a hardcore character and lose all that progress. One of the things that characterized ARPGs early for me was how kind of relaxing the combat is. And I don't entirely mean that in a positive way. There's a lot of mindless clicking in a direction, spamming the same ability. And it was actually that that turned me off from the genre initially for a long time until I discovered hardcore mode in Torchlight 2. And as soon as you start playing on hardcore mode, the game takes on this level of risk that actually puts the fear in you and makes you pay attention. You can't just play the game mindlessly. Um, and I I didn't play that way this time, but I will say that I do have a uh, certain fondness for playing these games on hardcore. Yeah, my problem with playing RPGs uh, on hardcore is that I'm a big... When, when I play through RPGs, I, I like playing around with the systems and trying new things and, um, I guess, learning by doing. And if you're learning by doing, well, sometimes you're going to do some stupid things and it's not going to work out. So I feel like hardcore mode is the sort of thing that I might get engaged with once I had a good understanding of what I was doing. Mm. But to do that on a first run through would be insane to me. I'd, I'd just, I'd, I'd just die too many times just trying new strategies. But you love games like Binding of Isaac, right? Yes, but you only lose, you know, maybe 10 minutes progress yeah, when you're playing hardcore true. mode. <laughs> it's, it's hours and hours. I think a better comparison is maybe something like Daisy, which is a game I played hardcore wise uh, and lost you know many hours of progress but you know i'm an accomplished shooter player so i felt i had like a groundwork for how to play that game in in some sense whereas with rpgs it's like every every new rpg is like a new <laughs> a new set of systems i have to learn so um before we go into diablo systems i'll just give you a rough premise of the game so story-wise it's um the initial setup is very simple. Um, you come to this town called Tristram, which uh, has been sending out calls for heroes to deal with a great evil at the heart of the town, which seems to be emanating from the, you know, from the cathedral. Um, you are one such adventuring hero. You're you're a level one D and D character essentially, and so you uh, take up the call and uh, venture into to confront the evil. 
Diablo is all Diablo one is all set in that town. The entire game is set in Tristram, and uh, you descend fifteen levels down, down, down past the cathedral, past the catacombs, into the caves, and eventually onto hell itself as you try and find the heart of the problem. Um, the expansion pack adds a couple of kind of side dungeons, some new bosses, and an array of uh, additional random modifiers. So there's new shrines, there's uh, new affixes and prefixes for your weapons and equipment. But uh, that's the gist of it. As for the basic gameplay, it's uh, your typical ARPG fare. For those who haven't played them, the idea is that you control your character from a top-down perspective or maybe a you know slightly angled perspective, but it's essentially top-down. Isometric. Isometric, of course, yeah. You um, click to move your character around. It's all in real time, and you click on enemies to attack them. Uh, there's more to it than that, of course, but that's the uh, that's the gist of the game. It's a very simplistic setup both in story and gameplay so um james i think where we'll start talking is in the story because as simple as it is there are a couple of things to go over um how how did you feel about the story how did you feel about how it was dispersed to the player so um there's a couple of levels to the story in this game. On one level, there's the basic plot, which is an ancient evil awakened, and it's extremely basic and honestly is just really set up for the game. Um, they go into this very minorly, but basically it's like there's an evil thing down in the church, go kill it, um, and some very minor plot happens very late in the game you know the start of the game they give you a bit of plot info and then at the very end and then in between there's just nothing um it's all set up and you know kind of a reason for you to be doing what you're doing um so it's whatever but what i do think is really fun in this game is that in the town there are heaps of npcs that will often give you quests and talk to you about different things and you know unlike more recent rpgs these quests come out of nowhere um, and actually randomized per playthrough you can get different ones and i thought that um the amount of interaction that you have with the people in the town you know because the, the general gameplay loop of this game is descending down into the dungeons, fighting monsters, and then coming back up with your loot to heal up and talk to the townsfolk. I actually thought it gave it a really, you know, like, cozy, homey feeling. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, the um, the town of Tristram does feel very safe uh, as, you, as you emerge from the dungeon. I will say that um, when you say there's nothing in the middle, I don't think that's quite true. Um Several of the quests, I think, are relevant to the overall plot, uh, like the Skeleton King and the Butcher um, in particular are ones which are directly related to the uh, to the broader story with, you know, who Diablo is possessing and everything. Yeah, but those are right in the first areas of the game. In this game, there are, you know, four main sections of dungeoning to go through. There's the dungeons, there's the catacombs, there's some caves, and there's hell. And I found that these quests mostly took place in, the, like, the early dungeon and deeper into hell, with your time in the catacombs and the caves just having nothing. No, no, that is that is fair. And um, honestly, the, the story related to it is very is very bare bones. It's essentially conversations you have with the townspeople upon triggering it. And 
occasionally there'll be a random book that you can read in the dungeon, which will give you a bit of backstory. But uh, like with, um, I mean, I'm going to say it, and I, 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 re- I refuse to apologize. Like with Dark Souls, Ugh. you engage Ugh. with the story exactly as much as you choose. Uh, there is a little bit of story and world building and lore in the background, but um, it's not in your face at all. And honestly, if you want nothing to do with it, you can go through the entire game with, uh, with knowing basically nothing about it. Yeah, and I don't hate that. Um, I did find myself talking to NPCs quite often, though. I think, um, I don't know how to describe this, the, almost the theming of the game reminds me of really old fantasy, like that really like arcane, mystical wizards doing these weird, obtuse things. I don't know how to explain that style of... Um... Yeah, it's like an 80s or 90s era of nostalgia, that those sort of concepts of high fantasy are evoked here. But it's got a more dark, gothic feel. Uh, it, it's not super lighthearted. It's very, very dark. Uh, dark even for a game that would be released today, I think. Yeah, did you feel that? I didn't think it was particularly gruesome. There's a little bit at the end where they're sacrificing a guy on an altar, but that's really all it was um, in the end. I mean, uh, the butcher is probably a notable one. I don't know if you got the butcher quest, but you walk no, into... No, I didn't. Yeah, if you walk into the butcher's... Uh, the butcher's in Diablo 3 as well, but uh, if you walk into yeah. the butcher's room, uh, not only is the butcher boss himself terrifying, the um, his chamber is just completely covered with disemboweled corpses. And yes, it is in very low resolution, but it's still quite gory and confronting um, compared to what you've seen so far. I, It's funny, I, I know that when I was younger, I found this game scary, and I definitely don't find this ga- sort of game scary anymore. But uh, yeah, it it is it is still um, a dark a dark tale, and definitely a lot more dark than anything in Diablo two or three. Yeah, and I actually think it does a really good job of being consistently thematic. It, there's not a whole lot of time where it's atmosphere, and it's not got like amazing atmosphere compared to current games, but it's at least consistent with what it's trying to do throughout the entire experience. So this is where I'm going to have to majorly disagree with you. I think the atmosphere of Diablo is far and away its strongest asset, and I fell in love with this game's atmosphere. Um, I, okay. I don't know if you... So basically, the way I've got my notes set up is I've got a bit on aesthetics and then I've got a bit on the gameplay side of it. Would you like to dive into the gameplay bit or do you want to go move into aesthetics? No, let's do aesthetics first. Um, so I guess, you know, graphics and music. Where would you like to start? This has been a very difficult game for me to get my head around because, uh, spoilers, I basically think the gameplay is mediocre, which we'll, which we'll get into later. But I think this game's presentation um, in all aspects, its graphics, its music, its sense of atmosphere, excels. And I, I think that it's the one aspect, it's an aspect of the game which holds up really well today. Diablo, um, the, the world of... So- Sorry, go on. So before we get into this, I'd like to um, say that I have the opposite opinion of you. So, you know, Ooh. we're going to have some fun, I think. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, yeah, it's hard to describe atmosphere in one like easy sentence. But when you descend into a dungeon in Diablo, you immediately get hit by the music and the music is like dark and guttural. You hear these drums. And as you go down more and more levels, 
it really um, it becomes more and more disturbing until you finally get to hell and it's these weird distorted sounds and screams mixed in with the music the moment you go into the first level the music comes over you and you get immersed i think this game has fantastic use of lighting the dungeon Uh, i'm gonna cut you off here i'm gonna cut you off here um so I'm going to say that I do agree with you that the music when you enter the first dungeon is excellent. I really like the track for the first music and the town uh, track in Tristram. But I actually think as soon as you leave the first dungeon that the music becomes absolute trashed here. I actually really dislike it uh, after that and found myself listening to literally anything else but the music. So um, the music isn't the sort of thing I'd listen to for fun, but in terms of helping setting the tone, I thought it did a fantastic job. Uh, even as you go into the caves, which is occupied, one of the main enemies you fight is the um, the goat people. I felt like the music turned into a more tribal-themed thing, and I thought that was really appropriate. Uh, I thought I agree that the first couple of tracks are the strongest, but I think it's strong all the way through. Yeah, I disagree. I think past games that we've done have done atmospheric soundtracks much better. I think uh, both Quake and Thief, which are probably the closest comparisons we've done so far, outstrip this game by a country mile. And to be fair, this game was probably working with a lot less when they were doing their tracks, but I found a lot of the, especially the cave and even hell, apart from the cool screams, uh, was pretty uninspired, honestly. There's just some really generic guitar playing occasionally, and there's I, I really wasn't digging the atmosphere in those levels. Okay. Th- uh, dungeon, absolutely. Okay, that's interesting, because, yeah, I thought the music was strong all the way through, but, yeah, I, I do agree that the... The dungeon track is probably my favorite, and that is the first one. Yeah, actually, let's um, let's go to that one now, so so people can uh, have an idea of what we're talking about as one of the strongest tracks in the game. So this is the track "Dungeon" uh, from the Diablo One OST. Yeah, and it's pretty good, right? So what we'll do is later on we'll play some of the other tracks which aren't so good, uh, and then you guys can, you know, kind of make a decision on who of us has the better opinion. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, um, the thing is, it's not just the soundtrack. The soundtrack is one part of a greater whole. I think one of the things this game does exceptionally well is lighting. The dungeon of Diablo is a very, very dark place. Uh, it is not light color palettes and it is not well illuminated. Uh, you, as a player character, emanate an amount of light that can actually be modified by items, interestingly. But as you're moving around the dungeon, you can't really clearly see what's on the edges edges of your screen. Uh, you can't even see if there are walls there. It's all hidden from view. And lights will flicker, which light up the light up certain sections of the map. And enemy attacks, interestingly, also light it up. Like if someone shoots a fireball at you, it creates this blinding light as it as it comes screaming towards you. 
And I thought that the use of darkness really immersed me in this game because I was kind of like worried. I I couldn't see what was coming up next. And so it made me very intently concentrate on what I was doing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, The way the lighting works in this game is that the entire floor is just a grid of squares and the squares are slightly lighter or darker depending on how far away they are from your character who's got a, I guess they've got a light source. Do they have a a lantern at their belt, I assume? I I don't know what the justification is for it. I know there are are items that can modify how much light you give out, but uh, basically the the player character emanates light. Yeah, the light very obviously lights up in square blocks, so it's very noticeable that it's a product of its time, but I actually still really liked it. agree with you i think the lighting in this game is great it's very dynamic based on what's happening around the place and i thought that you know absolutely did contribute to that consistent theme that i definitely think the game has um the other thing i wanted to bring up which i think is maybe not a good thing from a gameplay perspective but which i do think is good for the atmosphere and that's how zoomed in the camera is uh in diablo compared to other arpgs you see way way less of the screen uh what this means is that often enemies are shooting you off screen and you cannot even see them and while that is incredibly annoying in a lot of spots it does make you so much more hyper focused when you can see so so little it's it's kind of like a a tricky thing right because you don't want to disempower the player in that way but the more zoomed in perspective the larger character model it really sucked me into the game and i think that if this game had a more zoomed out perspective i would be a lot less immersed yeah i think it would be much worse but honestly i didn't even think about it Uh, i've got five thousand hours in dota and that game's also pretty zoomed in compared to a lot of other Mm -hmm. games so it just felt really natural to me honestly i never had a problem with the level that the camera is at and i totally agree with you not being able to see enemies that are shooting you off screen is kind of scary sometimes i think um the other major aspect which i think ties the atmosphere together is the sound design So I've already talked about the music a little bit, how it's kind of like echoing in the background. I know you don't like it as much as I do, but I thought it was very successful. But um, I think the sound design of this game is phenomenal. It's great. Yeah, Yeah, it's really good. You hear the opening of a chest or a door as it opens, uh, the way way money clinks to the ground. Yeah, the way the money clinks to the ground or other items clink to the ground. I think that the, uh, the enemy's deaths are fantastic not just in how they sound yeah the skeletons in in, the skeletons in particular um and actually most of the animations in this game are still great i think um the skeletons that crumple into bones and kind of jiggle around as they fall down i love it this game has the best death animations like the best there's the way the goat men die they kind of keel over with their head chopped off it's like obviously if you're shooting an arrow at them that's not what happened to them but oh my god every time an enemy died in this game it gave me euphoric rush because of how beautiful they died it was wonderful Yeah, and just the little sound effects of the money and the animation of it falling rather than just, like, appearing on the ground is really satisfying, you know? Every time you kill an enemy and money just pops up into the air with this little clink and then jangles on the ground for a bit, I really like every time an item just explodes out of an enemy. I think it's really fun uh, and really, you know... 
ARPGs kind of live or die by their addictiveness, and I think that the way loot explodes from enemies absolutely helps to get that across to the player. And just to make this absolutely clear, I think this game does it better than modern ARPGs. Like, genuinely, this game from 1996, I think it does all these death animations and everything better than than modern takes on it. I don't know if you're quite that yeah. high on it, but it's it's incredible how good it looks and sounds and uh, and feels as you kill the enemies. Um, yeah, the sound effects and the animations definitely better than pretty much any ARPG I've played before. Definitely better than Path of Exile, uh, which you know these days there are so many enemies dying at once you can't even pay attention to the uh, animations. So. Yeah, there's a lot of messiness in the in the on-screen visuals, right? Yeah, Diablo is a very simple game. But for the most part, it does those like few things that it does quite well. So one one last note on how it affects the overall atmosphere. So you and I have been playing a lot of Borderlands Three recently, which isn't you know yes. a Diablo game, but it it's got some of the same DNA in that sort of loot and shoot sort of structure. And the thing that annoys me about Borderlands Three is how no the game never shuts up. You always have people speaking to you. There's audio logs going. It's kind of like a messy, noisy game. And I know it's not going for the same tone as Diablo, and that's fine. But Diablo's sound design and the music, there's a real starkness to the audio. Um, I was playing a rogue, so I was constantly hearing the twanging of my bowstring, um, the enemies dying, and the loot items clattering to the ground. But that was it. It was just the noises of death and those simple sound effects tying it all together. And I think that if there were audio logs in this game, that it would enormously detract from the atmosphere because I'd be trying to concentrate on multiple things at once. And I think that the very uh, bare-bones story feeds into this. This is a game that's so focused and simplistic and restrained in its design to create this beautiful evocative dark atmosphere and i've talked about i've talked about lots of bits and pieces but when taken as a whole when i was playing this game i was very laser focused on it and it became my world when i was playing it yeah so i think there's a lot of downtime in the gameplay um where you're just doing a lot of the same kind of thing where some audio logs to listen to would have slotted in really nicely without detracting from the game i think that maybe like one every three levels would be a good ratio i don't want to be listening to them all the time but i think a couple would be good here um i want to actually draw some attention to something that i think looks really bad in this Mm -hmm. game and i think it's probably the only instance of something looking pretty terrible is the liquid in this game like the lava and the water look absolutely garbage um compared to the rest of the game i don't know if you felt that way but i I think that this it's kind of like a casualty of the grid based system which i'm sure is something we'll go into detail when we talk about the gameplay more but because the game obvious very obviously takes place on grids the lava looks like it's just a bunch of square grids of lava that are next to one another that have been randomly generated in formations. And yeah, it's kind of sticks out and there's tiny gaps in the lava to walk through and it's in diamond shapes. And yeah, I, I agree that it's pretty ugly. It's pretty bad, but 
and hot take here. Um, I went back and I played Diablo 3 for a little while to, um, you know, kind of get some contrast and compare to the old game. I actually would take the way Diablo 1 looks, like, every single time over uh, Diablo 3's visual. I actually hate the way that game looks. It just does not capture the vibe that it should. Um, I, I completely know. agree. I think that, I mean, obviously I've been banging on about how much I love the aesthetic. I think that Diablo 1 nails this dark gothic atmosphere in a way that few games, <coughs> Dark Souls, <coughs> have. And uh, I, I, think it's, um, I think it's very impressive uh, how this game looks. Yeah, absolutely. For its time, this game still looks great, especially at the high resolutions that you get with the GOG version, which for me is a great reason to get the game because it's super painless and still looks great at any resolution. Um, one of my favorite things about the game, which is a bit dated, is actually the UI. Um, I'll find a lot of modern games go for this really, like, clean, uh, you know, just squares with nothing interesting going on about them. And that's one of my pet peeves in gaming in general is boring looking user interfaces and i think diablo's looks really cool it's the two globes on either side of the screen is something that has been adopted in basically every arpg and with the little statues holding them up and i really like it even though you know it's a bit big and clunky with the big text box in the middle i still think it's got a lot of charm to it yeah, I agree. I think that the um the font sizes are well done and everything. It is kind of annoying that if you want to like open up a few windows, like I don't know, something like ninety percent of your screen will be covered by windows as they take up the left and right hand sides of your screen. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's weird though. The way the UI works is with these panels. So the bottom of your screen is one big panel. Think maybe like Warcraft 3, kind of in the way that it takes up a huge amount of the screen. And then the top part, the bit where you see the action um, gets cut in half whenever you open a panel. But it's really weird. Instead of just covering the action, it like resizes the resolution to fit on only half the screen. So you can technically still see the same amount of stuff even though the screen's only half the size. It's really weird. I don't think a lot of games do that anymore. Yeah, it's it's pretty bizarre. I mean, you don't really do that. If you're opening your inventory, uh, except in the final, final, final fight where I had to open my inventory mid-fight, uh, you won't be doing it. Uh, I, yeah, I have to do that a lot, but we'll get into that later. Just the one last thing on UI I want to touch on is that mm -hmm. uh, hotkeys aren't something this game understands at all, and I found it really frustrating sometimes, um, especially, like, one of the things that basically every game has um, is that if you have a bunch of menus open, you can press escape to close them all. I found myself pressing escape heaps of times to do that, and it just <laughs> opens the pause menu instead. It was so yep. annoying. You, you found that as well yeah no i mean what i always did was the uh there's kind of like two menus on either side of the screen and if you just press the other menu it'll just open the other one so i'd often be clicking between them frantically to finally get the windows to close but uh in the broader scope of it that's just like a minor ui clunkiness complaint but yeah it's it's definitely not perfect yeah and there's no i don't think there's no hotkey to save your game either you have to like press escape and then click 
which I found Pressing a lot. Escape does pause though, so that that is one good thing. Yeah, but it's no just mash F5, which is the way I prefer these old games to be. But you know, it is did, what it did is. Did you did you mash F5 a lot? Because I was only really doing it on the start of each floor. You mean like press Escape and then click Save? Yeah, like I was only saving at the beginning of each floor, except on the very final level where I used a few quick saves. I, did, I probably did it more that. than that, but I would say that I didn't use it much until probably Hell. Um, I would have done it maybe, you know, every time I went back to town and then mm-hmm. uh, every time I, I killed something really difficult, maybe. I, I was doing it when I went back to town as well. Okay, so I guess the general, consen- the general con- the consensus between Patrick and myself is this game looks great even today. Um, looks better than Diablo 3. That aesthetic sucks. Well, I mean, I don't understand what they were going for with it, honestly. It's so bright and colourful, and the other games are just, you know, dark and gritty. It's not what it's not what people want, right? I, I will say that um, I know that you have a particular hatred for Diablo 3's uh, ARPG style, where I don't have that sort of specific hatred for it. I think this game looks at least as good as any ARPG today, any ARPG. And I think in a lot of ways, it's, it is still the king. Um, Diablo 2, I think, is the one that gives it the closest run for its money. And Diablo 2 has to deal with outdoor areas and everything. But honestly, the more focused and refined look of Diablo 1 gives it the edge. It's the most consistently excellent to me. I guess um, mentioning Diablo 2, it's more... A lot of the Ape RPGs, um, other than maybe Torchlight 1, are very horizontal like the progression is you going left and right across screens to new areas on a continent where i really like the story theming of going down into the earth i think Mm -hmm. uh, really enjoy the theming of this much better than the other games that just have you going right it feels like the tension is always escalating in a very understandable way yes i i was gonna say this as well um diablo one has superb pacing it's got like a definite endpoint and a clear starting point and clear progression as you move down the levels it never feels as you're playing the game that you're just doing the next thing you're always wanting to go deeper and deeper into this place it's not just like oh, okay i guess it's time to go to a new continent oh, okay i guess we're doing this this part of the game now it's a very clear thing you're going down and down and down to the depths of hell and it's i i love that structure yeah you always know what you're doing too i find that in a lot mm. of games you know you just click through quest text and you have no idea what's going on in the story in this game, it's very, very clear. You go down there, you kill that big guy, that's it. So I guess uh, that brings us to some gameplay now. And you said you think the gameplay in this game is very mediocre. So I well, wanna... Before we go into that, do you want to have a quick music break again? Yeah, sure, why not? So um, let's play some music from my least favorite area in the game. Uh, well, musically at least, the caves, and then maybe later on we'll finish with Tristram to uh, give you something good again. So here's the caves.
The gameplay of Diablo 1 is superficially still just an ARPG. Um, you click around the screen, uh, you click on enemies. If you want to attack while staying in a spot, you hold down shift. But for me, the main thing that stands out playing through Diablo 1, as a person who's played a lot of ARPGs, albeit casually, is what isn't there. It's... Uh, it's this game is like the most primitive ARPG I've ever played in my entire life. So just to give you a short list of things that are missing from the gameplay of Diablo 1 as an ARPG, there are no skill or talent trees. There are no activated or alternate abilities, although there are spells, which we'll go into later. There's no crafting of any kind. Uh, there's no groups of rare mobs. Normally uh, in ARPGs, you have kind of like groups of high-level mobs and then you have unique mini-bosses. Diablo 1 only features mini-bosses and they generally are just normal enemies which have three to four times as much HP as the normal kind. And the way the loot works is like, crazily simplified uh there's only three types of loot normal magical and unique and uh the list of prefixes and affixes attached to them is far more limited than anything in later arpgs so i guess the first thing i want to talk to you about james is did you feel that diablo one's gameplay was defined more by what it wasn't than what it was or do you have a different take so for me been primarily you know a path of exile player uh in my spare time well not primarily but you know in terms of arpgs path of exile has many 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 systems like so many it boggles the mind and i still have no idea on half of the crafting uh, to this day but honestly going back to something so incredibly simple wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. When I started playing this game, I thought it was going to be honestly really boring. And I will agree in a sense that the game is incredibly simple. But when I was playing this game and thinking about the game and its systems and what is there, everything in this game is incredibly tightly designed to the point where it's still fun and everything is there for a reason, which I can't say for a lot of other ARPGs, right? So one of the kind of things that I wanted to bring up with you about this um, mm. was in a lot of the games, when loot drops, it drops um, unidentified and you have to like either find a scroll or take it back um, to town in order to actually see what the item is and use it. Every game has its own system of this. Uh, Diablo 2 and Path of Exile have identify scrolls. I think 2 has identify scrolls. Um, 3, you just right-click the item to unidentify them. And in this, generally uh, in Diablo 1, you take them back to town to identify them. So in your opinion, what is the purpose of this system? So if I had to say its purpose, I think that it's... I guess the legacy of this comes from Dungeons and Dragons once again, where magical items had to be identified before you could use them. Um, and sometimes they'd be cursed and you wouldn't know it. But in terms of their function as a video game thing, I think that it kind of gets you excited. It adds an additional layer of excitement because you find an item and it's like, oh boy, what is this item? But it would be kind of cumbersome and clunky to have the item sitting there with a big list of statistics on the side of it. 
with an identification system, you get to pick it up. And then when there's a moment of downtime, you can identify the item and you can then take your time to fully appreciate what it is that you've just found. Yeah, exactly. So on some level, Diablo 3's one of the people who worked on it said that the reason was that surprise factor, and I strongly disagree with that. Um, so this game, in my opinion, has two primary gameplay loops, right, um, that are mm-hmm. part of a bigger one, which is going down into the dungeons, killing things and picking up loot, and then the second gameplay loot loop of inventory management essentially you know rearranging your inventory identifying items buying new potions browsing through shops in tristram and you know doing all that kind of fiddly stuff that i find really cathartic and actually pretty fun um oh my god but (laughs) sorry you're gonna need to justify that statement (laughs) so that's just a me thing i find it really fun however One thing that would annoy the shit out of me is that if I was in the middle of dungeoning and I had to, like, compare the stats of this plus eight strength sword with this plus four magic plus six dex sword while I'm in the middle of a combat, that would be annoying as hell, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. this identification system means that these two loops are very distinct from each other because essentially... You can't do that all that kind of tedious, busy work until you've gone back and identified anything anyway. So for me, it keeps both uh, gameplay loops distinct and clean and uncluttered, which I think that a lot of modern games don't uh, take advantage of this at all. For example, Path of Exile just throws hundreds of identify scrolls with you. So I'm constantly finding this issue where I'm just constantly looking at gear instead of getting on with the actual, you know, fun gameplay because I'm like, oh, what's this? Instead of having to wait till I go back to town. And the same thing in Diablo 3 because you can just like right click on the item and identify it. So I just, I think that this system's a really good idea and that these other games in the genre have copied it without really understanding what it was for in the first place. I kind of agree. I don't think it takes very long to teleport back to town. And when you talk about inventory management as if it's some wonderful thing, I think inventory management sucks. I uh, don't like inventory management. I hate it. The lack of an auto sword in this game really irritates me. And um, I don't know if you figured it out, but I was using Tristram as uh, as my gold farm with uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of gold dropped on the ground because yep, it forced too. me to have gold stuck in my inventory. When I say inventory management, I want to be clear. I don't specifically mean rearranging your backpack. I'm talking about buying and selling from shops primarily. Let me see if I get this straight. You want to have the killing things in the dungeon as a separate sort of thing from uh, rearranging your loot in town. And you think that having a hard divide between the two is good. lets each experience flow more naturally. Yeah, because you know, the, the overall loop that you get into is you go down, you fight things until you run out of healing potions and you fill up your inventory. And at that point, you go back to town, you identify everything, you heal up, you buy all your potions, and then you go back. And I like that like one, two, one, two kind of rhythm that I got into while playing the game. I thought it was really satisfying as opposed to you know the other games that i play where it kind of blends together and isn't as fun in my opinion you know what i think you raise a really good point james i i think that does make sense uh there's a there's an awkwardness with identifying items as you go and keeping those two things distinct does make sense so so fair point well made i'll, I'll also say it is a very real problem in borderlands 3 multiplayer 
where you've got different people constantly looking at their items. Yeah, because it slows shopping. the pace of the game down, right? Everybody. Yeah, it slows the pace of the game down, and yeah, so I think I think that's fair. Um, I do think that for a single player game, it's not intrinsically problematic because it. I don't know. I I don't know how necessary um, going back to town to sell your stuff is as like a gameplay device. In a lot of ways, that that wastes a lot of time. I kind of wonder if there's a way to implement it where you can just right click on it and sell it right from your inventory. I I might find that a more enjoyable experience. I honestly. think that um, having to go back to town adds to the story and that kind of weird bond you have with each character up in town that's not huge in this game but i think there is a benefit to going back and talking to the townsfolk and them saying different things based on what you've done in the dungeon yeah i just i'm not sure if i like the idea of the i guess the gameplay mechanics forcing you to do it um I, I get what you're saying, though. No ARPG has ever done, as I suggest, where you can just sell stuff from your inventory. So there might be problems with it that I'm not anticipating. But in general, I don't enjoy that inventory management stuff. It was something I always hated about, like, Icewind Dale and Baldur's Gate, how I had to keep, you know, weight limits and all this other stuff. I hate it in Demon's Souls, how you have these weight limits, and every time you hit the weight limit, you need to go back and sell stuff. And I thought when Dark Souls got rid of that weight limit, that was one of the best decisions they ever made. So I think you've made a good point about keeping the gameplay loops distinct. I'm just personally not super high on the concept of inventory management. Sure, no, that's fair. Yeah. Um, so I guess one of the other things we'll move on to is something that I guess really distinguishes the three ARPGs I'm going to use examples here are Diablo 1, 3, and Path of Exile, and that's character customization, which is something I really want to talk about. Um, mm. This game is very simple in terms of its character customization. When you level up, you get five skill points to distribute between strength, agility, magic, and vitality. And the way you get abilities in this game is you just you find them as loot. Um, there is no way to get spells other than to find them or to buy them from shops. And shops randomly change what they're stocking every time you come to town, essentially. This is very different to games like Diablo 3, where you unlock spells at set levels, and games like Path to Exile, where you buy the skills and have big t sprawling talent trees. And I guess Diablo 2 with its sprawling talent trees as well. Um, and I actually really like this system in Diablo 1, because I think it makes every run-through really unique. Because I really enjoy having to, like, for example, I'm playing my warrior, for example, because I made a warrior when I played Diablo. And I find this spell that I don't have enough magic for. And I also find this axe, which I don't have enough strength for. And then I need to decide then and there, do I want to, you know, dip into magic to get this spell or just keep continuing to level up strength? And to me, it's a very reactive stat system you kind of tailor your character to what you find in the environment rather than a game like path to exile where you basically plan out your entire character then start playing the game and i actually really like that because i think it makes each run through really unique based on what you find even though at the end of the day there isn't that much loot yeah, and I will say that it's even narrower than you're suggesting. Um, I looked up some stuff on the Diablo wiki after I finished, and it turns out that different characters in this game have intrinsic weapons specialities. 
like the Rogue, for example, that I was using shoots her bow two to three times as fast as any other character in the game. And the Warrior, which you were playing, is like especially good with the big heavy weapons, the two-handed swords and the axes. So the baseline level of character of customization is absurdly low. If you're playing the Rogue, you'd be stupid to use anything other than the bow, except in very specific situations. As for the idea of... I guess, changing your character as you go. I I like this system and I would love it if not for the fact that there are zero respects in this game. When you make a decision with your character, it is final. And I think that the problem with that is you can very easily go down a path where you kind of screw your character through poor choices that you had no idea at the time were poor choices. I mentioned earlier that I played this game when I was a kid and that I finished it. But I realized upon reflection that I didn't, I wouldn't have finished it in one playthrough. Diablo has this option where you can replay the game from the start with the same character. And I think I must have done that two or three times because my warrior must have been an overpowered spell casting damaging machine by the time I finished <laughs> the game three times. And that's the only way I can think that I was actually able to beat diablo at 11 years old yeah i actually had to re-roll my character well not re-roll but i got myself stuck into this position where on the third level of the dungeon i opened this door and there was this boss and a whole bunch of high level enemies that immediately crowded around the exit to the left to the like the floor and i could not get past them so i just had to restart because my character got one hit every time i went down one level it was uh that was yeah. a, that was a bit uh jarring but this is a argument that patrick and i have had so many times throughout the years is that i actually really like the fact that you're locked into this character and that you have to live with your mistakes and your decisions um i find that it makes my character feel like my own and that i'm actually happy to learn through failure honestly if i have to re-roll a character I don't mind so long as the game is fun. If the game's fun, then, you know, I'm happy to make another character and to be like, oh, I fucked up. Um, I actually think that if it's impossible to, you know, screw up your character in an RPG, then it's not a very flavorful RPG and that it's just, you know, probably way too easy, honestly. Yeah, see, I, I just cannot agree with that. The, the thing is, like I said, every time you play a new RPG, you don't understand the systems that are at play. They're all different. And having this baseline expectation that someone who's creating a character will nail the systems to be able to deal with the challenges the game presents 12 hours later is absurd. And punishing them by making them replay that 12 hours because they don't have the foresight to figure out what the game will look like 12 hours from that point is ridiculous. Uh, you need to have... Re well, you don't need, but you should have some way to mitigate the challenge. I think free respects is a really good way to do it. Even if you limit the number of respects you give, just you got to throw players a bone. Um, I don't think so because this game's systems and level ups are so simple that... I don't think it's even possible to make a mistake that can't be undone. Like, 
For example, maybe you leveled up strength too many times on your warrior, and then you start dying kind of quick. You can just buy more health potions and then the next few levels up vitality until you feel comfortable again. I think that there's so few stat places that you can put your stats, and I don't think you're ever really wasting stats. Um, I just, I don't think it's that easy to brick your character, honestly. You literally just described a situation where you bricked a character. No, I didn't. You said you couldn't get through the third level because you were getting one hit by the enemies. Yeah, it wouldn't have mattered how many, like, the problem there was the position that my character was in, surrounded by, like, two bosses and, like, four, like, the stronger enemies. It wasn't to do oh, with the way... did you quick save in a dumb spot? Yeah, like, there was just no uh... way... Well, like, I led them to the exit of the floor... So that every time I went down the level, they were standing there and just hit me a bunch of times. So, like, it definitely wasn't to do with the way I'd level okay. my character. It was just, like, bad luck, yeah, essentially. I, I guess, for me, the opportunity cost of having a respect button is so low. I, I didn't need it. I, I agree that it was pretty simple. You know, I was playing a rogue, so I put most of my points into dexterity and then a little bit into vitality and strength for equipment. So it wasn't bad, but... I just cannot get behind this idea of no respects when you don't know what system you're dealing with. I just... Well, like, as you said, you can just start the game again on the same character. You don't lose your character. You just get more experience to, you know, fix the problems that you've introduced to them. Yeah, you lose all the progress, though. Like, it's just waste wasted time in a lot of way. And then the first three levels or whatever, you're over-leveled for it. Like, it's not... But you can just skip experience. through the first three levels and, like, walk down to where you need to be. It's not that bad or you could just give me a respec option which you don't have to use and <sighs> i will use if i, I feel it. so inclined like i i mean like i said the opportunity cost is basically zero like if you want to play your weird waste hours of your time versions of no respects that's fine but it doesn't mean you should ruin the experience for others we've basically had this argument many <laughs> times and we've never been able to agree i think there's a gray area right i don't think you should be able to press escape and then click an option that instantly refunds everything. There has to be at least something that prevents the players from playing the game like that. Uh, there has to be some amount of effort that the player has to go to to undo their mistakes. Like in Path of Exile, you have to grind respec points and each point is, takes a while to get and only gets rid of one node on the tree. So, you know, that's at least... You have to make your players live with their mistakes somewhat, because I think that the, a lot of the most interesting gameplay in games comes from having to, you know, you find yourself in a difficult situation and you have to find an interesting solution to your problem. Respecting your character isn't a way to solve the problem in my mind, it's a way to like skip the problem. And that's boring to me. Yeah, see, I completely disagree once again. I see respecking as exactly that, as solution to the problem. You're thinking about a different way to engage in the systems and you're coming up with a clever and creative way to deal with it. I would rather have Divinity Original Sins 2 system that lets you respec at will, although that has its own host of problems, I admit. But in a broad sense, I'd much prefer that system over the one in Path XR. One of the biggest things for my character was that once I got into the later depths of the dungeon, uh, my character was 100% melee. 
Um, and in this game specifically, movement speed is set. It's like hard set, right? I don't believe mm-hmm. there's any way to increase your movement speed and you move at the same rate as enemies. So one thing that was very difficult for me later in the game is that, you know, I had to kill a lot of ranged enemies. There was a lot of ranged packs, like maybe 10, 13 ranged dudes attacking me at the same time. And I had to figure out how to deal with that by hiding behind certain walls and using spells to get a bit closer to them and, you know, buying a shield um, that was specifically for that element to deal with this problem. And I found that all that stuff that I had to do to overcome this issue of ranged dudes beating me uh, is more interesting than me just going to the respec vendor and equipping a bow and being like haha now you guys get shredded by my ranged attacks and then once i killed that pack going back and changing back to a, like a melee again that's you don't have to use it like that's all i'm saying this this is a thing about opportunity cost james i'm not saying you have to play the game the way i play it or view the systems the way i play it and the truth is we're kind of going on a bit of a tangent because I didn't need to respect my character. My character was strong the entire way through. I'm just saying in a more general sense, I would like options of to have flexibility that let me play around with systems that don't require me to invest more and more hours to get different aspects of the game. I'd rather just play around with gameplay ideas uh, and have fun with them. And that's how I have fun with RPGs. So... I'm not saying that Diablo sucks because you can't respect your character. I'm I'm talking in a more broad sense here. Okay, sure. All right. Well, we'll move on from this because you know, as we've said, this is a never-ending argument. So it I'm will never and, and be I, resolved. Yeah. So I'm actually really interested to hear your guys' opinion on this. So if you want to send us a tweet or messages in Discord about how you feel about respec systems, I'd be very interested to hear that. Um, and you can read uh, my article about it as well. Yeah, Ugh, disgusting. Um, but anyway, we'll move on. Um, so one of the things that kind of popped out to me in this game, uh, and I don't know if it was as much a bigger deal, because you said you played primarily with a bow. Um, is entirely that, with a bow. Entirely with a bow, okay. Um, is that for me, I had to make use of a lot of strategies that kind of make sense in the real world as much as they do in-game. Uh, for example, uh, one of the things I noticed early on in my melee character, my warrior, is that hugging walls so that there is fewer squares that enemies can stand around you is really beneficial. Because um, in this game, when you get hit, there's like a little bit of stagger. So if you're getting hit by too many enemies at once, you start to get stun locked a bit. There is a huge amount of stagger, which yeah. is more accurate. Yeah, so actually standing in corners, so two sides of your character can't be attacked, is really beneficial. And more beneficial of that is opening doors and standing on the other side of a door while enemies kind of like funnel through the door and you can hit them one by one rather than five at a time. And like, that makes sense to me right like in a kind of a real combat perspective even Uh, and i really liked this kind of natural strategies that i was forced to use to be able to get through the game and the game even kind of acknowledges this because you'll notice that the lower and lower you go in the game the fewer doors and like protective walls diminishes Mm -hmm. somewhat there's even walls with holes in them that enemies can shoot through like the game developers knew that players were going to be using these to their advantage and they appropriately made them less and less effective as the game went on and i really liked having to you know kind of abuse these things to get through the game 
So um, I probably had a slightly easier path through the game than you. So because I'm a shooter fanatic, I always pick the class in ARPGs that's closest to a guy with a gun. So naturally, I picked the rogue, who's a chick with a bow. And uh, I found that kiting in this game was actually harder than any game that I've kited in before. And that's because of the grid-based system. Um, a lot of the projectiles are quite fast and your movement is kind of clunky, but I did get better at it uh, as the game went on. So with kiting, it essentially made all melee enemies fundamentally trivial, right? Because if you're good enough at kiting in ARPGs, you can eventually just keep backing away and never take a single hit from a melee enemy. Um, the thing I struggled the most with uh, was the ranged enemies because I dumped most of my points into decks and only a little bit into vitality. My character was pretty vulnerable. I didn't have a huge health pool. So when I came around a corner and suddenly about eight projectiles came at my face from a distance and I couldn't see where they were coming from, that was pretty scary. Um, okay. But like you, I used similar techniques where I either retreated to a doorway or even just retreated around a corner to the point where one or two enemies would come to the edge of the corner and I'd be able to only take on one or two at a time. But by the time I was getting to hell, I was chugging health potions like mad anytime I came across, across a ranged mob because they shoot projectiles fast and frequently and they're very hard to dodge. So... To some degree, you have to accept that you're going to be taking some damage as a range class. But uh, yeah, it, it only became very tough in the last few stages and uh, because I was making use of kiting so much. Yeah, my character uh, basically got so tanky at the end because I was using like sword and shield for the entire game effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an armor class of over 100, so effectively... I was only taking... I was 160, so... Oh, okay, yeah. So I I guess you're a dex character, so yours goes up. No, no, I I found this sweet piece of armor that was Uh. like... It had... I needed to pump my strength up to 80, and it was like, I don't know, 80 base armor, and then its prefix was plus 100. 149% 149% armor or something. Jeez. something. Yeah, okay. yeah so plus 87% base armor. I can't remember, but yeah, that one piece of armor just That's insane. helped a lot. Yeah, because I was essentially only taking damage from maybe every seventh hit. Um, my inventory at the end of the game was 20 health pots or something in my backpack and would just be chugging them constantly when there was ranged enemies. It was quite difficult and there was actually this period in the game where i was getting really frustrated um at not being able to deal with some of the stronger ones until i found this spell in the shop called reflect which reflected like 15 percent of shots back so ranged enemies started killing themselves on me and i just like stood in the middle of the room chugging health potions it's great but yeah very cool we should talk about the health potions for a bit because that's that's a bit of an antiquated uh, piece of design now. Yeah, it is. Um, Path of Exile's flask system isn't perfect, but at least you don't have to fill your entire inventory with potions every single time. Honestly, I didn't hate it, but other games do it a lot better, honestly. So to explain it, um, most modern ARPGs have a different system to deal with healing, but in Diablo, you have um, up to eight items on your belt, which will normally be all health potions, maybe some mana potions. And when you press the hotkey, like one, 
it will immediately fill your HP to full health if you have a full HP potion. Immediately. There's no cooldown on it. There's no time it takes to fill up. It just does it in the snap of a finger. And if you open up your inventory and are able to play the game with that open, you can right-click those yeah. to fill your health immediately. If you pick them up off the ground, they'll immediately go to your belt as well. And unfortunately, the game's kind of somewhat balanced around this with incredibly lethal enemies that you can't effectively dodge at some stages, so you just start spamming health potions to stay alive. Yep, yep. They're, they're super overpowered. It's like the most overpowered item in the game by a mile. But because the game's balanced around it, it's kind of okay. But uh, yeah, they're way too strong. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's very, you know, old game design kind of thing. And I definitely like can't imagine a new game adopting a system like this. But you just chug health potions like it's nothing. I don't know. Uh, when I actually killed Diablo at the end of the game, I would have drank maybe 30 or something. Yeah, so so what I did was I um I knew that when you picked up health potions and your belt was empty, they immediately went to your belt. I just threw so them all I, on the ground. I, I had eight in my belt and then I threw another ten on the ground. And then as I was fighting him, I kept picking them up to put them back on my belt. But yeah, that final boss fight is just a complete slugfest. It's a real yeah, mess. Yeah, I didn't think to do that. So I was actually like using up all the health pots on my bar. And then mm. once they were starting to run out, start running away and kiting him and then quickly open my inventory and drag them onto my bar. But, but it, was, was... Uh, it was really goofy. I don't think it's good. So, yeah, earlier I said I don't really think the gameplay is very good and I don't hate it and I actually had fun with a lot of it, but it's real clunky and messy and dodgy. It's kind of a bit too simplistic and repetitive in my mind. I think one of the things that adds to that feeling of repetition is that I think the diversity in monsters you fight is very low. Yeah, maybe, it's pretty low. Maybe this was partly because I was a ranged character, but there were a few interesting ones. There was one that charged at you, a monster with a horn on its head. There was a little bat thing that teleported when you did damage yeah. to it to attack you. Um, oh my god, teleporting enemies can get fucked. <laughs> like, there were these skeleton mages that when you attacked them, teleported away. Do you have any idea how painful that was on a melee class? Like, yeah, that's, that's oh ridiculous. my god, it was so annoying. Eventually, I just was like, fuck it, went to town, bought a bow. And then even though it took like 10 plus hits to kill one <laughs> dude, it was still faster and less painful for me to just sit there chugging health potions and like slowly killing them with a bow. I wish there was more stuff like that, though. The, the problem for me was that every melee enemy in the game was essentially the same to me as a ranged character because I could just Honestly, the way this is sounding to me, it's that you had no fun because you played the uh, the rogue instead of playing the warrior. Well, I mean, the rogue is a valid class to play in the game. If I didn't have a fun experience because I picked one of the character classes, that's not my fault. That's yeah. poor design, right? And it, my main problem with the gameplay is that it's too simple, even, even for someone like me who's simple-minded and uh, doesn't love RPGs with all my might. Like, I think that if the game was shorter... Like, uh, and it's a pretty short game as it is, but I, I think that 
for the diversity of gameplay, this game could have been a lot shorter, although that may have messed with the pacing in, in some capacity. But yeah, there's just not enough variety in the gameplay. You spend too much time doing the same thing. Yeah, I will say that I rolled a second character to try the sorcerer out, and it was substantially less fun for me because I was just killing everything with fireball and there was just... I didn't need to worry about my positioning or anything like that. So I think that, honestly, in my opinion, playing melee is the way to make this game more interesting. I think that the range classes seem to be pretty face roll, honestly, pretty dull. Yeah, they're, um, they're definitely stronger, I think. Um, and I had no issues. It's not like I wasn't dealing any damage either. I probably wasn't doing as much damage as a melee character. But I was doing like 40, 48 damage per hit at the end of the game. So I was pretty... Pretty good. One thing um, that separates this game from a lot of other ARPGs, in my opinion, and we're, we're talking again about the monsters, is that enemies in this game don't respawn. Um, hey, yes. So, effectively, the XP that you can get is limited. And because of that, I found myself, like, hunting down every single monster I could in every single level. Yep, and actually, like, in enjoying finding packs of monsters because I'm like, oh, sweet, some XP. Whereas in other ARPGs where everything just endlessly respawns, I'm like, oh, whatever, just another pack of dudes. Whereas the XP is really valuable in this game, so I think that, to me, it was more enjoyable to find packs of enemies than in the other games that I've played. There's something more meaningful about killing enemies when they stay dead, right? Like, yeah. I think that in this, I'm kind of going, going to go on a little bit of a small rant here, but I think that Diablo 1 shows a different course that history could have taken with ARPGs, where instead of them being about loot mechanics and um, the late game, instead they were more focused, simplistic uh, experiences where you're meant to play them through once and I know that theoretically Diablo has like a late game but playing through Diablo for the first time enemies die and they stay dead they're far more simplistic loose and character systems it really feels like a game that's meant to be played through to completion once and then maybe left alone for a long period of time unless you're super invested and uh, yeah, it's certainly a interesting game. Very, very different from the ARPGs of today. I don't think Diablo 1 has the same replayability that later games in the series have at mm -hmm. all. I think that every class you're going to play, because, you know, effectively, and this is the special third time we've mentioned Dark Souls, <laughs> your character classes essentially only affect... That A, that one passive that each character has hidden on them, and B, the stats that you start with. So theoretically, you could just play every class and do whatever you want with them. Uh, and because of that, unlike maybe, you know, Path of Exile's huge diversity in builds and Diablo 3's unique classes, there's not a huge variety in playing the game a second time. I know that on my second character that I just wasn't finding it as fun as the first time I went through. I don't think many of the later games in this genre that this game is that much more fun the second and even third time round. I blame MMOs, James. They they started this trend of the game not really starting till you'd got to the late game, until you'd pumped in 
30, 40 hours and then the game really started. Whereas Diablo 1 feels like it's starting from level 1. Yes, and, I agree. Uh, I really enjoyed that and found it more meaningful. And I'm always going to prefer a game that starts at level 1 and I hate games that don't start to level 40. So even though I found it kind of repetitive, I still liked the structure of this game so much more than any other modern ARPG. Yeah, no, that's completely fair. And I kind of want to, because let's be honest, I fucking hate Diablo 3 and I want to kind of hammer on that game a bit more because, you know, it's fun. Um, my least favorite thing about that game is that you get spells at set levels. I think that makes every playthrough exactly the same and really boring whereas like playing through a wizard three different times in diablo one at least like the spells you get are completely random so your character's going to be like a little bit different i just i think it's a way better system to have spells as loot rather than just unlocking it at a set level it's really not fun i, I just want to i want to hammer back a bit here because i still think diablo 3 is quite fine for my from my experience playing it you know there are five or six different classes and i really like the way that it's trickled out in diablo 3 and i know you hate it but you know if you the the characters in diablo are kind of there's less distinguishing the characters from one another so sure maybe if you play a sorcerer three times you'll get a slightly different selection of spells at the start but the experience playing three different characters in diablo 3 is vastly different from playing three different characters in diablo 1 sure i agree with that but I think that's more of a, an issue with the number of abilities that exist in Diablo 1, limiting the potential for variety rather than the system being superior in 3. Speaking of drops, this is a major part of the game that we haven't quite got to. I want to talk about the loot because, you know, that's one of the big things about this game is killing stuff and picking up items. So we're going to talk a bit about that, but we've been banging on for a long time now. So um, we're going to give you the last of the music tracks, which is the Tristram theme, and then we'll go into talking about that. So here you go. One of the things that really stood out to me coming to this game from Path of Exile in particular is that in Path of Exile when you kill an enemy they explode in like hundreds of different pieces of loot every single time to the point where you actually need to install third party filters to filter out like 
80% of the items that are dropping on the ground, and it's actually ridiculous. In comparison, Diablo 1, you see maybe like three pieces of gear in an entire level, if that. So I honestly found the loot drops in Diablo 1 to be much more rewarding and exciting because they were fewer in number, and generally there was a much higher chance that the piece of gear that you found was usable for your character and exciting. Um, I found, yeah, it's definitely a lot stingier. It is worth noting that because I was playing a ranged class, the um, number of possible weapons that I could wield was way lower. It was only bows, whereas as a melee class, you could use pretty much all of the melee weapons, of which there are many. So I actually got most of my loot from the shops in the end, because uh, particularly as I moved into the late game and started getting rich. I will say that the concept of giving less loot uh to make it more meaningful it's definitely about hitting that sweet spot i think that games like borderlands 3 and you know current rpgs definitely overdo it but there is a risk of underdoing it as well particularly when you're looking for specific types of gear like i was some of the time like uh needing bows for example so it meant that sometimes i went several floors using the same whole shitty bow and i got a little annoyed at that at times mm. but in general i would prefer that games show a bit more restraint in their loot systems than what they currently are and i quite like diablo's system on balance even if i think it's not flawless yeah and one of the things that also stood out to me is that diablo 1 has fewer gear slots than newer games and to me that's significant because when a piece of gear drops there's a much higher chance that maybe Patrick was held back because he was specifically looking for a bow. But for me, if I was specifically looking for a piece of headgear, it didn't take me as long to find a new piece of headgear in this game because there's fewer possible slots that the item could drop for. And because of that, you know, you, and the fact that each item is probably, you know, statistically better than what you had before. I found that I never had that problem where I stuck with the same piece of shit gear for, like, three levels, and I found that that happens a lot to me uh, in Path of Exile and in Diablo 3. I will say that the items on the whole are also not very interesting. Um, the final weapon I had for the game was a bow that basically had a modifier that increased its damage, and that was it. It did four to eight damage, and I could. It did plus one hundred forty nine percent damage, and I used that from about level eleven to level fifteen till the end of the game. And most of my items at that stage just had flat stat upgrades, except for a couple that also had resistances to various elements. And that was the entire character, and that was the entirety of the loot system um, in terms of its diversity for me. Yeah, mechanically all the loot is extremely boring. There's nothing like Path of Exiles build creating items that just a single weapon on its own uh, can make a build work in a really unique and interesting way. That's not the case here. You're only getting stat ups and damage ups, so it's a lot more boring in that sense. But what I think they did do well is that the stats on each item are usually really significant. Like, the first sword that I got on my warrior that was notably good for me gave me plus 8 to magic at a point where I only had 11 magic in total to begin with. So mm -hmm. that's exciting, right? You're like, holy shit, this gives me like 80% of my entire stat for this item. This is insane, and that was really exciting for me. 
rather than, you know, some plus 5% damage thing that you see in modern games. Going back to the atmosphere for a second, while I think that from a gameplay perspective, it's kind of, the loot's kind of boring, from an atmosphere perspective, it completely fits. Like, it doesn't, Diablo isn't some zany, wacky game with weird things happening and weird, crazy builds. You're just a guy descending, or a girl descending into a dungeon where there's evil. And so the stat modifiers at the end of the day, yes, they were simple. Yes, they weren't exciting, but they were effective. And at that stage, that's all I really cared about. I still found myself getting excited by loot pretty regularly. I'm sure when you found that crazy piece of armor, um, you were pretty excited too, right? I know. I that, absolutely was, yeah. Yeah, so it's not like it's entirely boring. There's definitely moments where you're going to be like, holy shit, this is amazing. It's just not mechanically exciting. It's it, it's not exciting in that kind of direction. It's just, you know, oh, this is sweet. It upgrades my gear. Oh, sweet, a new sword. It's not, holy shit, this item lets me do this, this, and this. I also had a couple of item sets that I was swapping out. I don't know about you. I had my plus stat sets and then I had my resistance sets. And as the later I got into the game, the more I valued having resistance. Yeah, I had resistance sets too. And I had a ranged set of armor because I couldn't use the bow effectively with my strength hat. So I had to don right. like an agi hat. And then, yeah. So my uh, inventory got a bit cluttered with different sets of armor. You just drop um, it all in the town. You just. But if you need both of them for a level, uh, you have to drag it with you. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, I was swapping. I was like hot swapping because I, I had a set of gear to kill melee dudes. And I had a set of gear to kill ranged dudes at the end of the game because it was just... <laughs> like a big problem i had to solve yeah so there's the normal loot there's magic loot and finally there's unique but the thing is unique in um or legendary or whatever in modern games would do something really cool unique in this game generally just means better stat bonuses yeah, yeah the loot's still fun um but it's not the craziest thing in the world and i actually I really like the way it's implemented, even though nowadays it's showing its age a bit. One of the final things I want to discuss, and I'm actually quite surprised we haven't discussed this yet, is for me easily the worst part of the entire game, um, and that's the grid-based mm -hmm. movement. This is a top-down game that you move your character with your mouse, but you're limited to moving in only eight directions rather than the 360 movement of literally every single game ever made since then. Uh, and I found it to be incredibly clunky, and every time I sat down to play the game, I groaned a bit when my character, like, uh, when they move diagonal, they move left and down and left and down instead of in a diagonal line. It was really, really didn't feel nice to control at some points. Yes, I agree. This is probably, if you had to point to one part of the game that's weakest in terms of feel, it's definitely this grid based and how it affects how you play the game. Um, like I said, I did a lot of kiting and movement with my uh, rogue. And it took me a while to figure out how to even kite enemies. Like when I first started playing, I was like, I don't understand how I meant to kite enemies because of how weird the movement felt. Um, I eventually got the hang of it because enemies randomly pause on certain tiles. I'll also say that there's this really weird thing with the um, when enemies attack you. If you've started leaving a tile, but you haven't actually reached the next tile, because anytime you take damage, you flinch, it'll kind of snap you back yeah, to the tile yeah. you were leaving. 
and you can sometimes get stun locked where you can't actually run away. And while there's something to be said for that flinching because it gives enemies a real sense of danger because when you get hurt, it bloody hurts and you feel it. It's not good when you're... It's not good to be snapped back uh, a full tile's length just because an enemy happened to make contact with you. So that's pretty dodgy. It also stops your attack animation too. So oftentimes I would get surrounded by like seven dudes and it would take me like a couple minutes to get out of that seven dudes because I'd have to wait for my character to eventually hit a couple dudes twice each until eventually I could start swinging freely without getting interrupted constantly. During that like long period at Stunlock, I'd just be sitting there mashing the potions buttons. Uh, so I, I don't know. It's a bit clunky. Overall, I think there's more good than bad with that flinching system um, well the but... enemies also have zero points so anytime you do any damage to any enemy they yes. will flinch so it's it's incredibly annoying but it's also kind of it's it's somewhat it's fair and because i was a fast attacking person with a bow uh making enemies flinch was an important part of being able to kite enemies so I, I did think it was a fair trade-off because I basically never got surrounded yeah, by guys yeah. in Stunlock. So. <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, the movement system just feels really bad, especially because like, it feels that when you move left and right, you go slightly faster than when you move up and down. I think it's like an illusion based on the perspective, it is but it feels yeah. really jarring. Yep. Yeah, enemies do the yeah. same thing. Yeah, it's, it's really it's weird. Real weird. It's it's weird when you're running away and you're kind of moving up and down the tiles. It's hard to hard to have an accurate grip on the distance. Yeah, honestly, involved. I really like this game. Apart from that, you know, to the game's credit, a game from so long ago, the only major change I would make to this game if I could would be to this movement system. Uh, everything else I really like. I think it's really uh, it's a really cohesive package. Did, did you want to move on to our final impressions? Yeah, it's about time to wrap up. So, uh, yeah, let us know what you think, Patrick. You said you had mixed feelings about the game. Yeah, so overall, I would recommend Diablo 1. I think Diablo 1 is still a good game to this day, and it's well worth playing. But you, when you play it, you need to go into it in the understanding that this is not an ARPG as we understand them today. It's a different type of game, which is weird, right? Because Diablo 1 was one of the originators of the genre, but instead it's like this refined, focused, narrow, simplistic experience. I think the gameplay is mediocre. I think that it could be the game could be a lot shorter because the variety in gameplay is pretty low. And I only played one character, so maybe as James suggested earlier, the warrior is a lot more interesting to play. But um, I certainly started to get a little bored with the gameplay as it went on. Even as it was getting more difficult, it was still repetitive. But what cannot be undersold is the incredible atmosphere that drips from the walls as you play this game. Every time I booted it up, I got sucked inside my computer screen for two or three hours at a time um, without doing anything else. And I think that's remarkable for a game released in 1996. So it's definitely got a lot of flaws. Diablo 1 is by no means a perfect game, but it's worth playing today. Just don't expect Diablo 3 or Path to Exile or even Diablo 2 
out of this game. It's a it's its own beast. I think that um, the major point of disagreement that I have with Patrick here is that the gameplay is mediocre. I think that it's extremely simplistic, but I think what's there is extremely good. Um, based on the feedback and the addictiveness of killing enemy after enemy and after enemy. As Patrick said, you get sucked into this game and you want to play it for hours. And that's in part to how satisfying the sound effects and the animations are when you hit enemies. Like, as we said, they flinch at basically every hit. And that makes your attacks feel very weighty and feel very good. So I found it extremely satisfying, you know, 12, 14 hours into this game just to be left clicking on enemies and hitting them and hearing that little jingle of gold dropping to the floor i still found that fun that far into the game and for the rest of his points i completely agree this game absolutely holds up and i'm really shocked about that i went into this actually thinking that diablo 1 was going to be really boring compared to all the games i've been playing recently like path to exile but in fact i really love the simplistic laser focused well thought out mechanical systems that underpin this game and can absolutely see how it spawned an entire genre if maybe a lot of the games in the genre don't even do it as well as this game. I think that Diablo 1's an excellent game to go back and play, and I think that it's so easy to do that based on how good the port is on the GOG store. You can play this game on Windows 10 with full resolutions, you know, without having to do anything weird or registry edits or, you know, change the DPI of your mouse or anything stupid like that. You just, you buy it and you click run and off you go. It's fun. It's a great game. Um, and the only things I dislike about it are the movement and some of the music tracks so yeah absolutely play this game so that about wraps it up um thank you so much for, to everyone for listening to us uh we are the retrospectives podcast you can find us on twitter twi- on twitter <laughs> on twitter at uh at ret podcast uh you can send us an email www.retrospectivespodcast at gmail.com you can go to our website which is rspodcast.net not only do we post all our episodes but we also post articles about all the games we play so if you want some additional reading check it out but most importantly we would love if you would drop by our discord we'll put a link to it in the show notes James and I both love talking and arguing about video games for hours on end. So if you think either of us is wrong, we would love to engage you in conversation slash <laughs> argument about it. So please, however you want to contact us, we'd love to hear from you, uh, whether it's an opinion agreeing with ours or even more excitingly. And even if you want to come in and uh, talk about modern games, that's great too, right? When we do this show, we're doing it from the perspective of people who haven't really played these old games that we're coming back and reviewing. So, you know, it's not like we only love these old games that we're enamored with but we also play a lot of current games as well like we've both been playing borderlands 3 together i've been playing catherine full body and the excellent celeste dlc that came out so if you want to chat about anything game design or game wise in general come down and have a chat we'd love to hear from you so james that uh wraps up this episode what are we doing for the next fortnight what game are we playing so I was having a real tough time deciding on what to play. I've been wanting to do a puzzle game for quite a while, but I just can't find one that I want to play um, because it just, 
all the modern day puzzle games are so good that when I look back at the old catalogs, I just can't see anything that kind of grabs my interest. So Patrick and I were kind of figuring out what to do, and I saw something that was a bit on theme with this episode, which is another Blizzard game, although maybe they weren't known as Blizzard that far back, and it's actually their first title ever, known as The Lost Vikings, which you may know if you've played Heroes of the Storm, because I'm sure as hell that you haven't played the actual game. Um, So The Lost Vikings is probably most similar to Trine, I guess? I guess Trine kind of apes Um, the gameplay style of controlling these three characters with their own unique puzzle-solving abilities. So I'm actually kind of excited to go back and see if their very first game had that Blizzard touch, just like this one did. It was released in uh, 1992. Oh, that was before I was born. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the best thing about it, because it's such an old game in Blizzard's catalog, it's completely free. So you can just go to that downloads page and download it. And like uh, Diablo uh, does on GOG, it just works, which is absolutely shocking for a game released in 1992. (laughs) So uh, I'm looking forward to not having intermittent crashes and having to do registry edits this Fortnite. Yeah, definitely looking forward to this one. So um thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Adios. Bye.